1: Manchester's indie rock and roll station, Excess Manchester. The Excess Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. This is the Excess Long Player, really excited for today's episode where I talk about another classic indie rock album with one of the people who helped make it the album it is. And genuinely, today's album is one of the most influential of the Naughties, An album that regenerated, gave a spark again to rock music, because I'm going to be talking about The Strokes' debut album, Is This It? And I'm doing that with its producer, Gordon Raphael. It's a brief conversation with Gordon today. This interview I did with him was recorded before I'd even considered making these interviews into a podcast. So it's kind of succinct, kind of to the point, but it is full of loads of insight and information and stories about the making of this album that I'd never heard before. So let's get straight into it. Gordon Raphael talking about The Strokes' classic album, Is This It?, is this episode's Excess Long Play. How are you doing, Gordon? Very well. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for coming on. I'm interested to go right back to the start of this album when you were first brought on board as the producer. Well, I know it was before the album. It was when you were working with The Strokes and their early EPs. What was your reaction the first time you got a taste of the band The Strokes and what it was they could do?
0: Well... I think that the best impression I can give you is when we first uh, started working on the EP, which became The Modern Age, this three song record. I really saw how dedicated they were in getting their music the right way. And they weren't unconscious and they weren't taking any shortcuts. So I was very impressed at the music these guys made and also how dedicated they were to getting it right. When
1: it came to making the album itself, originally, Pixie's producer, Gil Norton, was bought in as the album's producer. Then he was kind of moved to the side and you were bought in. Did you ever resent the fact you were kind of bought in late on the album production, given the fact you'd worked on the early EPs? Did you object to the fact you weren't bought in at the very start to help create this album?
0: Naturally, when the EP was successful and that I found out they were going to record with Gil Norton, I was uh, quite heartbroken. I had never really been known as a producer outside of the underground circles in New York. And so I thought with the Strokes, it would be my first chance to break through. And when they started working with another producer, I thought, well, I'm just history. I'm going to be staying in this basement in Manhattan for the rest of my life, recording six days a week. You know,
1: when you actually were brought in to work on the album as the producer, Was it a challenge for you? Because I understand the Strokes had particular ways they wanted the album to sound. They want new techniques had to be employed. Was it a recording process
0: that kept you on your toes? It's an interesting question. Um, A lot of the sounds that we were going to use for the album were things that we had pioneered when we first worked on the EP. And for me, recording and making sounds like that was is very fun. Like it's really Mm -hmm. enjoyable. And I find it's like it is my art. Is what I've been doing my whole life. Now, the level of concern for details and the amount of hard work that they wanted to do on their music was something that was very new to me. And just the physical hours that they wanted to spend, you know, refining and refining the mix and the sounds and every the performances, that really took me by surprise. And by the end of seven weeks, I was completely like, spiritually and mentally exhausted
1: (laughs) is there a bit on the album that when you listen back to it now you kind of instantly transported to something you had to do or a microphone you had to use or a tape loop you had to create or something like that that you take real pride in now looking back
0: there's two two moments that just really really blew my mind then and every time i hear them i can remember it and feel it again I would say that working on the first drum sounds for Hard to Explain, it was very specific what Julian wanted. He wanted. He said, I've got my drummer Fab, love that guy, but I want a drum machine for this song. What do I do? And I said, well, I'm going to make Fab sound like a drum machine. And they looked at me like, are you crazy? And I said, watch. And, you know, I turned some knobs and I put some microphones and I talked to Fab and everyone in the band heard, They saw Fab playing the drums, but they heard a drum machine coming through the speakers. And that was a pretty incredible moment. People still want to talk about that and ask me about it all the time, even now in 2021. And then the second thing was a natural phenomenon. They were playing the song, Take It or Leave It. And Albert does a guitar solo halfway through or near the end. And when he stood up to do that solo, the sound of his guitar in my little studio in the basement in the East Village of New York The sound was bouncing off the walls so loud. The whole band is playing, but he's turned up so loud that the sound is completely bouncing off the walls. And the way it came through the recording system and out of my speakers in the control room was just mind-blowing. And I'll never forget just shaking my head and looking in disbelief at how great that sound was.
1: I mean, the album itself has got this quite raw, almost live sound to it does Mm -hmm. that i mean i guess it, it from the outside looking in it feels like and this probably undersells the job a producer does massively but it feels like that would be an easier thing to create than maybe that kind of more polished product at the end but actually is it more difficult to kind of capture that live energy on an album
0: i think what's difficult or i don't know it's part of the job of being a producer and an artist is knowing when to put extra production tricks in, Mm -hmm. and when to let space and let reality and let live music talk. And so, yeah, I was able to um, encourage them to trust this process when everyone else was making gigantic productions because digital audio and using computers for music was rather new at the time we were making it. I mean, there was a transition from using tape with 24 tracks Mm. to suddenly using Pro Tools and computers with 60 tracks. And everybody was getting big, big, big and bigger. And I just said, go if you want to do something different, just go out there and play your instruments and I'll put a microphone on each guy and there's your music. It's also to their credit in their production values and their composition that they didn't do any doubles They didn't do any tambourines. They didn't do any vocal harmonies. There was nothing suggested even by them that could have been like an extra thing. It was just them playing.
1: Did you have an idea that this album was going to be so special when you were making it? I mean, we've done a few of these long players now. We've talked to mainly the artists that have created these albums. We haven't talked to that many producers. And in general, they say when you talk to them about iconic albums, that they had no idea what they were doing at the time. They were just making the music they wanted to make. But as you were kind of one step removed, almost, you were sitting the other side of the glass. Did you get a genuine sense that you were creating something that would be special?
0: Well... When I had them in the studio the very first time and we worked on the EP, I thought, this is really cool music. It reminds me of bands that my generation listened to, such as the Velvet Underground or the Stooges. But nobody from their generation and nobody at the time at the year 2000 was talking about the Velvet Underground and the Stooges. Like that was so far in the fabric of history at the time. And so I didn't really expect that this music was going to go very far. Now, the EP caught on in the UK, and there was a huge buzz all around New York because of that. Mm. And so by the time we were making the album, you could feel the whole world of music fans listening at the door, like waiting and listening. (laughs) So for me, it was like, whoa, this is incredible. It's like whatever we make, everybody in the world is going to hear it. And as an artist, you never know who's going to hear it. You don't know if it's going to sit on a shelf or get 10 plays on the radio and disappear. But for this thing, I really had the feeling that the whole world was holding their breath and waiting for this thing to come out. That was my view. The band had a different view as well as thinking that they had a chance they were so worried like we have to do it right we have this one chance this is kind of stressful because we better do a good job so I think they were more stressed about it than I was but I really thought it was going to be exploding all over the world
1: you've had 20 years to reflect on the album now it's the 20th anniversary this week well, now you look back on it, is there anything when you listen to it or you look at it that you go, oh, I'd do that differently? I'd change the way we approach that song. Is there any changes you'd make?
0: No, not whatsoever. None whatsoever. I mean, the worst thing that ever happened for that album, and from my point of view, was that nine-eleven happened, right when the record was supposed to come out in America. And there was a very intense meeting with the band and the record label and me and the management and the band decided on their own accord that they better remove New York city cops, which is one of the greatest most anthemic stroke songs of all time. I Mm. think. So it was just too bad that when the record came out in the United States, that song was missing from the collection. And I think that was like, that was a big injury to the album in the U S and that's the only thing that I, was, I regretted that that happened.
1: Undoubtedly, this album has a had a huge legacy on music at Excess Manchester. We get bands sending in songs every day that kind of have that, quote, Stroke sound, that kind of New York underground sound. How often do you get contacted by bands that go, make me sound like the Strokes on their debut album?
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest and say that for 20 years since I made that record, I have bands contacting me, even to this day, that contact me because they love the production of The Strokes album. They don't necessarily want to sound like The Strokes, mm-hmm. but they are contacting me because they love those albums, and I have no doubts about that. On the other hand, in the early 2000s, I actually moved to the UK, I lived in London, and every band wanted the Strokes drum sound and distorted vocal. There were so many bands I worked with that wanted those sounds on their recording and hired me to do that. Thankfully that doesn't happen as much anymore.
1: It's been fascinating talking to you about a truly classic album. So thank you very much for your time on XS Manchester. Thanks
0: for having me, man.
1: The XS Manchester long player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. XS Manchester. Short and Sweet with Gordon Raphael talking about Is This It? The Strokes debut album and an album that genuinely changed music. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go back and listen to the others in the series. There's interviews with Blossoms, with Kaiser Chiefs, with Embrace, with Slow Readers Club, with The Music, with Ocean Colour Scene, with Happy Mondays, to name but a few. Some brilliant chats, some brilliant conversations, some real great stories from the people who made these albums. So if you've not done so already, click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll get the next one as soon as it's ready. Cheers, to your ears. I'll see you on the next XS Long Player.
0: Manchester's indie rock and roll station. XS Manchester.